Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am almost always joined, by the memorable, maternal, and merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I'm feeling quite maternal today, Chris, apparently. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm actually... I'm actually more worried about the thunderstorms that we have coming. Um, if you just hear a zap and then shrieks, that would be me. Yeah, he's just dying over there. It's fine. I actually have my camera, so when the lightning strikes him and he turn- goes on fire, I will, un- I will uh, start color commentating on it. There you go. Get a video of it. Uh, I don't. That would be trickier, but I can probably do it. Comedy gold, Chris. Comedy gold. Comedy, I mean, who doesn't want to see the Mad Wizard Memory get struck by a lightning bolt? I mean, I really don't, Sean. I really don't want to see you get struck by a lightning probably bolt. Probably most of my family. Oh, oh, that's just... Oh, that's just, oh. Oh, man. Okay, well, with that downer, let's go to announcements. Gen Con needs DMs. Tell me about it, Sean. Well, as you know, Gen Con is quite a big convention, Chris, and... Baldman Games runs a lot of the D&D that happens there, and the um, the demand for D&D has never been as high as it is this year. So he is opening things up to host more tables, and even though you have more tables, you need GMs to and DMs to actually run the games. So if you go to heraldsguild.com, you will see a button that says Gen Con 2018. If you click that, you can volunteer to run D&D games at Gen Con. Why should you do that, Chris? Because you, you're basically essentially getting paid to play some D&D, to run some D&D. Uh, yep. I'm doing it, and I'm getting my room for free and my badge for free. Yep, I'm doing it, and I'm getting my badge for free. And badges for Gen Con are not cheap. No, they're like $100 these days last time I checked. Right, and getting a hotel that close to the convention center is nigh impossible. So for running uh, eight hours of D&D, you get some stuff. For running 16 hours, uh, you get yourself a badge. And for running for half of the show, you can get your spot in a hotel room downtown. Does it get much better than that, really? I mean, Not Not really. And you know what's great about it, Chris, is you also learn so much about the game by running it for uh, for strangers, for people who are just learning, for long-time players. Um, and then if you get the chance to see other DMs in action, you also learn from them. So it can be a bit, bit hectic, uh, but Bald Man Games and the Herald's Guild does a pretty good job of helping people along, showing you the ropes, and getting you involved in the public play convention scene. And that's really a ton of fun, uh, if, you, if, if I'm to be completely honest with everybody out there. Like, I love doing it. And for those of you who know me that are listening to Down with D&D, you know I also love playing a bunch of indie games and things like that, too. But there's almost no more fun that I have than running um, even the same adventure four times uh, mm-hmm. at, for, for a bunch of different groups. It's like it's just enjoyable to see how the different stories play out and to meet all the different people and whatnot. It's just a I don't know. It's, it's a good experience to have. Yeah, it's really how I got my start in in the business of of D&D is going to conventions, running games, and then I got into writing and then I got into other stuff from there. So it's a great way to get your foot uh, in the door in the industry itself. I agree. And um, if you're good 
like you come off well as a game master you like you get these ratings too for Baldwin and then you you know you can move up the ranks and then you can you know get access to some other neat inside information and inside people and whatnot Mm -hmm. So that's uh, heraldsguild.com. If you are interested, go to the Gen Con 2018 area and input your information. We'd love to see you there at Gen Con. Absolutely. I would love to see you there at Gen Con, too. In fact, since me and Sean will both be there, uh, as we mentioned, I mentioned on Misdirected Mark, we talked a little bit about it. Like, we're going to have some sort of Misdirected Mark down with D&D meetup as soon as me and Sean figure out like when we're both free. So. Yep. Then we'll we'll find a place and we'll let we'll tell people to come meet us there and we'll like you know have a sit down and chat with everybody. Sounds like a plan. All right. Next thing, uh, Neverwinter Ravenloft now available for PCs. So I heard about this and it sounds really cool. It almost made me want to go and you know start playing it because it's you know Ravenloft on PC like it's an MMORPG with like Ravenloft stuff. Yeah. When I when I when uh, Neverwinter first came out. I got on. I'd never played an MMO seriously. I played it for just a, just a bit, just to get an idea of what it was. And it was really cool. I just don't have enough hours in the day to do it. But when I heard that, that Ravenloft was coming out for it, I went and checked the, out the trailer. The trailer on the Wizards website for this is so cool. Yeah, I like, haven't seen it yet. I would, it looks awesome. I would, watch a, I would watch a Ravenloft movie based on that trailer. Really? Um, yeah, it's just... Oh. it's. It's just well done. And, you know, Ravenloft is such a great story, not even talking about games. Ravenloft, just the the Strahd story, is such a great story that that just draws you in naturally. But the way that they ran the trailer, the way that the characters look, the the parts of Ravenloft that they chose to highlight just in the two-minute trailer was really cool. And I'm like, all right, give me a, if you're going to give me a D&D movie, give me a Ravenloft movie. <laughs> Can we just pause for a second so I can watch this two-minute trailer? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to sure. watch it now. Okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> Holy Lord. And not only is it visually appealing, but it really hits all the highlights of what a Ravenloft campaign is. You know, just when you think you've won, you've lost, and you go in expecting one thing and you get another. You know, it's all, it's all there. It, just in the two minute trailer. Yeah, absolutely. It's a that's amazingly uh, good work right there. I mean, I hope they. Uh, mm -hmm. Man, that's so good. Like, I want to go download it and play it right now. It's crazy. Right. So, I mean, I don't even know if the game is as cool as that, but if it is, you know, sign me up. And we haven't uh, we haven't talked about. Other things that, that have come out for Neverwinter a lot, but uh, the Lost City of Omu is also an expansion that is available now. Um, and the trailer for that is not as cool as the Ravenloft one, but if you've read the adventure, uh, Tomb of Annihilation, you see a lot of iconic scenes from the adventure that are played out in the uh, in the trailer, so it's kind of neat. That is kind of neat, man. So, uh, I mean, it's cool that they're taking like some of the the book stuff and the, the, the story history of D and D and putting it in the video game. They've been doing it all along, but this is, right. that's really cool. I really like it. I mean, yeah. I actually have a Neverwinter character that's like level 15 or something. Cause I, I played it for like, you know, seven or eight hours and then I, you know, right. I mean, it's an MMO, right? So MMOs are like you said before, like a time sink. Mm -hmm. And I used to be one of those people that played world of Warcraft for like 40 hours a week. So mm -hmm. it's just a bad scene for me to be involved in, but that's <laughs> neat. It's D and D. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So check that out. And if you are a player of the MMO, Neverwinter, uh, go on to our G Plus community and let us know what you think of of the game as a D&D brand. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear about that. All right, number three, a D&D Beyond interviews from Origins. Apparently there's a bunch of D&D Beyond interviews on dndbeyond.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you go to dndbeyond.com, right now the top story is click here to see all the interviews. And they did a lot of interviews. Um, they did interviews with Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford together talking about the new season of D&D coming up um, based in Waterdeep. There was an interview with Chris Lindsay about everything that he's working on, both with the Adventurers League and with uh, the DMs Guild. Uh, Mike Shea and James Hake are on because they write for D- uh, dndbeyond.com. So they talk about lessons they've learned as creators in the industry. Uh, there's an interview with the Dwarven Forge folks talking about stuff that they're working on. Uh, Kate Welsh and Satine Phoenix have an interview where they talk about their uh, coming um, uh, coming on board as employees of Wizards of the Coast and what they are working on. Um, Alex Kammer of True Dungeon and GameholeCon uh, has an interview where he talks about those two things. They have interviews with the cast of Dice Camera Action, of Maze Arcana. Um, and there's something for everyone in all of those interviews, whether it's hardcore hardcore rules knowledge. Uh, Jeremy Crawford does a sit-down sage advice um, thing, which is highly interesting, where he gets into... Uh, gets into the tall grass on certain mechanics and and how they come up with them and how they view them, and he takes live questions from the audience, and you know, every, and then everything to the streaming stuff with Dice Camera Action and, and Maze Arcana is is neat as well. So go check those out because there's really something for everyone there. That's really quite amazing. I don't see it though. Like, I don't see that post on their on their website. It's the it's the main story. The last I checked. Let's see. It's not there anymore, I don't think, which makes me sad. Oh, huh. It, like, vanished. I wonder if it's on the main D&D site. Maybe maybe that's where it is. I will will check. Uh, Nope, it's all about uh, Ravenloft, so it it was there. Uh, It's also on uh, YouTube. If you just go to YouTube and search D&D Beyond Origins... You'll come up with a whole playlist of all of the interviews right in a row. Yeah, I will find that that link for that stuff and, uh, you know, make sure that it's there so you folks can get a, get a hold of it because I want to go listen to it too now. That's really cool. Fair Man, enough. D&D Beyond is such a cool site these days. It is. It is. Right? It is, it is essentially the homepage that is not the D&D main site, which the, I wish they were. they used to do stuff like this. It is now, like, the site to go to to figure out what the heck's going on with D&D. It really is. It's kind of funny. And, you know, if they get a tabletop uh, online role-playing system, they will have one D&D for 5th edition. Pretty much, yeah. That would be pretty accurate, especially if, it, if they can connect it to their compendium and stuff. Oh, my God. And their Abs- characters. Yeah. Oh, holy Lord. Yep. I don't know who's going to make that for them, but that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, that's news stuff, and it's pretty impressive and pretty interesting. And I think I'll be bookmarking and more often going to D&D Beyond than I have been lately because, man, that site is fantastic. Uh, but our main topic for the day is we're going to talk about social uh, interactions and social conflicts, and it comes from uh, a post from our G Plus community. Alex Sarat... 
Siracus? I'm going to go with Siracus. Yeah, Siracus. Alex Siracus. Here's what he, uh, Alex had to say. Looking for ideas about social conflicts. Also, first post here, so hi. Do you have a special way to handle social conflicts in D&D 5e? Like convincing the authorities that the guards, captain is corrupt, or convincing the banners that they should just run away? Uh, the issue I'm facing is that I notice most players expect to resolve conflicts with a single die roll, no matter the complexity or the difficulty of the situation, and I feel that sometimes it should be a bit more than that. They approach a social conflict with the equivalent of, I roll attack to kill the dragon. I understand that the system is to blame, in quotes, a bit here since it's far more detailed and nuanced in combat than any other aspect of the game. That's why I'd like to check uh, if you have figured out a good way for a more nuanced social conflict that still fits the game and wouldn't feel too alien to what someone would expect from a D&D game. Uh, he also mentioned a couple of things that he's considered, which is social hit points, like attack with your skills to reduce opponents' social hit points to zero, a la fate. Uh, he discarded that as overly complicated. Did you want to say something about that, Sean? I, I don't... Well, I think it is overly complicated. I have seen it tried not only in 5th edition, but in other editions, as well as in other games, as he mentions Fate. Mm -hmm. But it can be really fun as a DM to create those subsystems within within a game. And if you work with your players, it can be really fun for them to create a quote-unquote combat system for social interactions. So, off the top of my head, I would say your charisma is your hit points. Yeah, or and, or if you want to go with like a check mark system for like um, since it's usually stuff like that is debates or arguments, mm -hmm. you know, trying to convince somebody while they're trying to get something also out of it, sort of like a, a track thing. You uh, use right. you use like a base number of like two, like two check boxes or whatever, and then mm -hmm. whatever your charisma modifier is or wisdom modifier, if it's about willpower, is the number of boxes that you add to the end of it. Sure, and I mean there are uh, there's been a ton of different ways I've seen it work for people and it, like I said it can be fun it just depends on the story you're telling the story your players want to tell and the type of players you have correct absolutely I and mean, we'll get into all what you said Sean is exactly the thing because in D&D &D, as the rules are sort of presented it is kind of like um what do you want? I mean, we'll talk more about like what social interactions mm -hmm. are actually doing. I actually have a little section in there for like, we should you should probably figure out what your social interaction is trying to accomplish because there's different kinds of sure. social interactions. But yep. once you set your stakes, once you know what you want, once you know what your players want, like then you kind of can figure out how you want to play things out. Right. Um, he also mentioned four E style skill challenges, but he thought that that seemed a bit contrived. And mm -hmm. we can talk about that after you tell us about the thing that you wrote from eight years ago. Yeah. So as soon as you bring up the word skill challenge, actually, that's two words. As soon as you bring up the two words skill challenge, you get a bunch of different reactions based on when someone started playing D&D. &D. If they started with fourth edition, they probably think of the four, of the fourth edition version of the skill challenge, which is when those specific words were used to uh, codify what they're what. Um, they're talking about here. So a little history here. So fourth edition came up with the idea of the skill challenge as a way to handle non-combat situations using a more mechanical structure. Yes. If you, if you, if you were a play tester on fourth edition, and there are a lot of people out there who were, you know that skill challenges came very, 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 very late in the, play testing process and so 
while they were a good idea, they did not get fleshed out as well as they should have. That, and this is something that the designers have admitted. Yes, they have. I've and, seen both and, Tweet and... Yep. Um, was it Tweet? Heinzo. Is it Heinzo and Tweet, right? Yeah. I, I've you know They've said, we didn't know whether to put it in or not. We probably should have left it out and held it back until we've had, had a chance to really play test it and think about it. But they did put it into the core core books. So the way it was presented in the core books was far too mechanical and far too limited to be of great use in a multitude of situations, which is why it was created in the first place, to be useful in many situations. Mm -hmm. So the DMs who didn't understand the meaning behind it just went by the rules as written. So you would get them DMs calling for initiative roles when people were talking to each other. And it completely tore out any sort of organic role playing from the situations where the skill challenge was trying to be a support for organic um, interaction without becoming completely mechanical so it did just the opposite of what it what it was supposed to do by not being clear yes and i i actually don't think it wasn't clear i think because here here are the rules for a skill challenge what you're trying to do is get some number of successes before you get three failures right that is pretty much the base idea around a skill challenge right but so what what some people would do is they would just see that and they would say, okay, rather than, okay, you're going to talk to the guards and you're going to try to get into the castle by convincing them X, Y, or Z. And rather than having the players actually say things, what do you say to the guard? They would just go, okay, I am going to roll my persuasion check. Boom. All right, one success. And since it was so codified, it was you need five successes before three failures and so it just turned into a, okay, give me another persuasion check. Okay, give me another persuasion check. Oh, you failed that one, so now you've got one failure. And there was no consequences for failure. There was no thought given to what the roles meant. And that's the whole point of having the system there is to think about beforehand what can be done during role playing to trigger the roles that will then get you toward the final goal. Yes. And does that does that make oh, it sense? Makes tons of sense, and we'll talk all about right. that later because I have a whole list of things that you should think about when you're yep. building out something like that. Yep. So if you are a person who, when you hear the words "skill challenge," automatically fall to the floor, writhing in pain because you were put through um, bad skill challenges during your fourth edition days, don't judge everything based on just your experience because. As the as fourth edition um, morphed and as people got more experienced with it, better examples were given. In the DMG two, the Dungeon Master's Guide two, there was a whole section on here's what we really meant by skill challenges. Yep, and there were some great examples, and uh, so it's it's one of those situations where people in their first interaction with the thought of a skill challenge got so burned by it that they never even wanted to think about it again. Um, and, and I think that that's uh, part of what brought 
Alex's question was, you know, he's thinking for should I use a 4E style skill challenge? It seems too contrived. Well, everything is contrived because this is a game. That's and, true. And, the, and so it's not too contrived. Uh, it's just the right amount of contravation. That's not a word. Um, it's just the right amount of thought to put into it because you're building a a great organic role playing scene atop this scaffold. So the scaffold's there to support. Mm-hmm. Here and so, just just in general, um, when you think skill challenge, I think of it in two ways. You can have a very mechanical skill challenge. So say you're in the middle of a combat and you're trying to deactivate the infernal machine. Then you can create a very mechanical skill challenge where these five things need to happen before the machine can be um, deactivated. And you can say specifically, you know, the uh, the arcana check needs to be done to, to uh, take the magic away. The uh, sleight of hand check is needed to move the gears around well, here- and you can lay those out and make it a very tactical thing which which can be cool for players yeah the the intelligence perception well the perception check needs to be made to figure out wh- how kind of like which gears are actually connecting to which gears so which gear you actually need or investigation to which gears you right. actually need to go and manipulate and then you can and that unlocks the um sleight of hand check right exactly so you know it can be a very mechanical thing now if you have a more role-playing focused skill challenge then it can be something completely different. It can be very non-mechanical and very loose and based on the ideas that your characters come up with or based on checks, the things that you are able to tell them so they can move on to the next step. Yes. That's not really a skill challenge then at that point because that's a different kind of social interaction, right? But but it is still a skill challenge, and, and that's that's the thing. It's It still has that foundation of you need these these successes – in order to succeed and you need to do it before you mess up too many times. So that, that framework can still be there, but it's just done in a very different way than a more mechanical challenge would be done. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, you said something about getting information to move on to the next scene. And I have a real big sticking point with that thing because you have to move on to the next scene. Otherwise the game stops. So you never design a thing where it doesn't move on to the next scene. I didn't, I didn't mean scene. I, I meant thing. The, the next the next step in whatever progress you're going to make you might need to to get a clue based on your interaction it's it's exactly what you said with the machine you need to make the perception check yeah, to, to realize as right. long as it's and, not going to block block the the move the right. forward momentum of the adventure like i right. i'm with you i always frame that as like uh there's a consequence to the failure right that's that's what we're talking yeah, the, about yeah, there always has to be a consequence for for the failure. Otherwise, it's it just turns into a dice rolling um, waste of time scene. Right. Yep. Okay. So that that's all I wanted to say about the you know the history of skill challenges and the um, abhorrence that some people have for the concept uh, based on their past experiences. So I think what we're going to go on to talk about now is. Yes, you can do it as a skill challenge, but you just need to think about it. And here are some things you need to think about. Yes. And with that, I will turn it over to Chris. All right. So, like, the first thing that you need to think about when you're designing some sort of, like, skill challenge or situation like that is what are your stakes? Because in a fight, you, the stakes are often clearly defined. The stakes are, 
are we going to beat the things that are trying to kill us or are they going to kill us before we beat them? Like, those are the stakes always, but we don't think about that because they're always present. Now, interesting or different, I won't say interesting because that's a loaded word, but different kinds of, of combat encounters also exist. Like, do we, uh, but they're not even really combat encounters. They're encounters. Like, you were trying to get to X or grab X or stop X from happening before before Y happens, right? Like, now we're talking actually about a skill challenge, right? Like, like mm-hmm. Sean's example, let's shut down the infernal machine. Before it goes off, there's probably some sort of opposition that is trying to stop us from shutting down the infernal machine too, like a bunch of drow elves and a and a and a, and a, and a lich. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. They're not the sure. actual thing that we're trying to deal with, at least not right away. Because if the arcane machine goes off, something bad happens. So, like Sean mm-hmm. said, like here's all these things that we have to do to shut the arcane machine down. Um, if we don't do it, then the bad thing happens. It's the consequence. So, like now we have stakes. Um, mm-hmm. A thing to ask is, so the things you need to ask yourself are like, what is the escalation in that situation? Like, well, if the arcane machine gets to like, if you're using a timer, because you can use a timer in these two, like, well, it's got to go through, it's going to go off in five rounds or, you know, uh, so we got five rounds to shut this thing down. That's a, that's a kind of skill challenge. Um, the arcane machine goes off and the bad thing happens. There's also the thing like, yep. well, if we fail while trying to do something, what is the consequence? Maybe there's nothing for the first failure. Maybe each of those individual checks has a different kind of failure, right? Like using the slight failing on the sleight of hand to the gears could be very different from failing from on the arcana check to remove some of the magic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. There also could be boons on the top of that for if you succeed very well. So like if your mm-hmm. arcana check is like you rolled a 20 and the difficulty was only a 15, that maybe like instead of maybe that makes the next thing easier grants advantage in the case of fifth edition, um, right? Or the lich loses some of his spell slots. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. Because, Another good one. So then you you have the interaction between the combat that's going on and the skill challenge that's nested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another thing that you can do. What does the other? Another thing you should think about. What does the other side want? So this lich and these drow, they obviously have an agenda with this arcane machine. They want the arcane machine to go off, so they're going to do their best to stop the player characters from making from getting the arcane machine to go off or to shut the arcane machine down. Um, then after that, you can ask your question, what are the, what is the opposition willing to pay to get the thing done? And like, what are some extra things that the player characters can pay to make the things that they want happen? Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, this works also when I'm saying right here, we're using a very mechanical based one that Sean was talking about before, but this all applies to social interactions also. Absolutely. Um, so maybe that lich is willing to pump a whole bunch of magic, some of his spell slots into the machine to make the difficulty checks for the player characters harder to uh, to hit or even to re-up some of the things on the arcane machine. Like if the wizard rips, uses an arcana spell to rip the magic away from it or weaken the magic on it, the lich can make an arcana check and use a couple of its spell slots to put the magic back on. So now there's a, a completely different dynamic to the encounter that is going on here. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's not just a straight up fight while the fight is going on. But now you are also fighting over the machine in this like tug of war battle. Also a mm-hmm. skill challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can ask, like, do the PCs have leverage on the situation in a social situation like that matters a lot? Having leverage in in a situation like this, maybe the player characters have the arcane device that will help them shut the machine down. Right. Like that gives some sort of bonus or boon. Um, Mm -hmm. ask yourself, what do these die rolls for these different things actually mean? So 
uh, if it's a social situation, which will, I think we should probably do a social example after this in some way, shape, or form. But um, mm-hmm. in this, in the example of the arcane machine, like all those different skill checks that we're talking about, those dice rolls will probably mean different things. So like mm-hmm. ripping the magic away, messing with the gears, um, actually uh, causing the machine to collapse with like the last roll. Like oh. Maybe the, and then maybe that last roll is, isn't even a skill check. Maybe that last roll is like uh, an attack roll where you were actually jamming something into the machine, but you have to do it. Maybe it's actually another sleight of hand check you have to do it with timing, right? Like, well, I got this metal rod. We need to sho- shove it into the gears at the right proper moment, right? So right. Or, or an athletics check just to smash yeah, it. Yeah, sure. There you go. It could be either yeah. one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that mean? What are the consequences from, from that action? Sort of like, well, when the machine jams up, it starts to collapse and explode, right? So, like, there you go. Like, that, that is completely different now. That changes the nature of what is going on. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that that stuff matters. Like, also, like, um, I like the Arcana check one. You rip the magic away from the arcane machine. Maybe that keeps the arcane machine that was sending lightning bolts all over the place at, at people that were not drow or a lich from uh, sending lightning bolts all over the place, right? So mm-hmm. it's all the more reason for that lich to want to put that aura of magic back around the machine because then the lightning bolts yeah. come back. So uh, then the thing is, like, are there multiple points of, well, negotiation for a, a social conflict or encounter or multiple points of a, of, of attack or ways to deal with the, the skill challenge from a more um, more action oriented skill challenge? Right. Like, are there different ways to attack this thing to get through it? Think of it almost like a flow chart when you're designing them. It is not as simple to design these things as as people think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like. That's pretty much how that works for a uh, for a skill challenge. When can, can I can I just go say ahead. just a couple of things? For what you said there was very important. This is not as easy to create as people think, and the whole reason that there uh, there is this framework for them is to get you to think about them rather than just go in and say, "Well, I'll I'll just wing it." It it. This is something that DMs have been doing since basic D&D, mm-hmm. right? They didn't have skill checks back then, but they would use ability checks. They would have other ways to, to do it. And so it's been done forever. Giving it the name skill challenge is just a way to let DMs know, hey, if you plan ahead, you can do some pretty cool things. Whether it's mechanical, like we talked about with the Infernal Machine, or social. Um, and... The the very second thing you first you said set the stakes, which is exactly what the first thing should be. You know what happens if you succeed, what happens if you fail, and so on. The second thing you said is what is the escalation, and I think that can't be overestimated in the sense that if you cannot think of an escalation, maybe you're not trying to do a skill challenge. Maybe that's when you just make it a single die roll. Because the escalation is the whole point of the skill challenge of this can go a number of different ways. It can get very bad. It can be be very good. But there are degrees. And if the escalation is just either success or fail, and you can't really think of a cool thing to do with varying degrees of success and failure, maybe just make it a single skill check for whatever it is the, the player characters are trying to do and save the skill challenge part for something that's more complicated. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, 
right. I just wanted to get that in and now continue on. Well, let's talk about social interactions now because that's really the question that was raised and how what we just talked about applies to social interactions. I think the most important thing you need to understand about your social interaction that you're engaging in here is what is the purpose of it? And there's a number of different kinds of social interactions that you can have. Like, is it about gaining the upper hand on someone? Is it about finding out information to move this move along to the next thing? Is it about getting political positioning? Is it about getting a favor or boon from someone? Thank you for changing that, Sean. In our show notes, I might have wrote boob. So, whoops. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Uh, you know, Freudian slip, probably. My bad. Anyways. <laughs> That's about as uh, that's about as non PG as we get around here. Yep. So like those are just a few. Those are the big the big ones I can think of as far as social goes uh, for for why you would have the social interaction. Can you think of any others? No, I think those basic those four basic things that you say sum up pretty much everything. You're trying to get something from someone, whether it's a physical thing or information, or just pass them to the next thing that you need to get to. Um, but it's it's all about that position of power. Who has the power, and what does that person want, and what do you need from them? Yeah, That pretty much sums it so up. So now, if you want to have a skill challenge situation in one of these things, then you kind of go back through those questions that we asked earlier, like, what are the stakes of the situation? Like, um... I don't know what uh, let, we need. A, we need an example for this so that we can make some serious sense out of this. You got you got something for me? Well, let's use let's use one of them that Alex came up with. Uh, how about um, convincing that the guard uh, captain of the guard is corrupt? So the captain of the guard is corrupt, and we need to convince somebody. We'll say that our contact is the local lord. That is the person who is our uh, who, who's been hiring us as adventurers and whatnot. So we have at least a relationship with him, right? Or her, mm-hmm. local lo- local yep. lady. Um, so the stakes are like we're gonna we're gonna go out and put on the line that this uh, captain of the guard is corrupt. Um, that puts our reputation on the line with the local lord, right? Right. Uh, but and the the guard could be endangering the characters or someone's someone who the characters care for in some way. So if they are not able to do it, uh, the corrupt guard will make life worse for them. Yes. Absolutely. So that's another way to, I mean, that could be the reason that they're in, engaging in this too, right? Like, oh, this corrupt mm-hmm. guard, like he's causing problems. But like, if right. we expose ourselves by by trying to expose him and we fail, then it could really go much worse for us and right. people we care about. So those are good stakes, right? Mm-hmm. So the escalation is, oh no, the, the Lord didn't believe us or the lady didn't believe us. And this guard kind of goes on a rampage trying to ruin our lives, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. What... So let's see. What does the other side want? What does this corrupt guard want? This corrupt guard probably wants to keep doing what they're doing. And the local lord, what does the local lord want? Maybe the local lord has an inkling that this corrupt guard is doing bad things, but it would be a black eye on the local lord, too. So Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily want it to be a very public thing. Right. And maybe they they don't want to publicly well yeah what you just said they don't want it known that the guard is corrupt because they appointed the guard so right there is a block that the characters have to get past in order to not just convince the lord that the guard's corrupt but to have the lord do something about it Mm -hmm. and that's one of those areas of gradation one of those steps along the way if you don't completely succeed 
you might convince the the lord or lady that uh the guard is corrupt but they're still not going to do anything about it yes because you would then need the plan to deal with the guard on the on the quiet right yep um so then what are they willing to pay for it and that's both sides like what is the local lord willing to pay for having this guard removed and what are the pcs willing to do to get this guard to be removed right mm-hmm. so i'm uh, let's see what, what as player characters it's up to them right they make choices Mm-hmm. Uh, the local lord, they're willing to sh- maybe shell out a few hundred gold for um, for the local this local captain to be um, exposed in a way that doesn't link him to the local lord. There maybe they're even willing to re- appoint one of the player characters to be the new captain of the the local guard, captain of the lord's guard, give them a title and such. Mm-hmm. So like they're willing to shell out some money for it then. Shell out some some titles, some favors, right? Um, the next question is, is like in this interaction, do the PCs have leverage in any way, shape, or form? I mean, if they have evidence, um, then that's great. If they have a witness, it's probably pretty good. If they just have their own word, it's probably not good enough to be leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Depending, of course, on the relationship that they have with the um, with the local lord. So. Uh, that's that's how you would de- determine leverage, right? Like mm-hmm. leverage. Leverage is you, you kind of know when you have leverage on somebody. I mean, those are the, those are the things like leverage is when you have an advantage that you can bring to bear on the situation. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And just just being an adventurer and having power is some leverage, but not everything. It, it's, it's not something you can always fall back on. Yeah. I mean, being in, being an adventurer and being a character does not give you a uh, carte blanche to say I should get what I want. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, your die roll. In that situation does not mean that you should get what you want because you haven't actually brought anything to bear to the situation to say anything other than like, look, I'm an adventurer and I've done some stuff for you. You should get rid of this guy. Like, probably not. That's probably not how that works. Mm-hmm. Think about it reasonably and actually logically. Yep. Um, if you have a situation where the die roll eventually comes and die roll should come because like maybe you can't win ultimately the skill challenge like 100% without having that leverage or having some, some way to go about acquiring that leverage. Maybe, maybe you have to go away and do something after the, after this encounter, this social interaction. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, when the dice get rolled, then what again does that mean? And there's even like some, you can have multiple dice rolls instead of having, so D and D is a pass fail game. That's why skill challenges are kind of cool because then you can put levels of success in that. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. we got like, three successes before as we hit our like third failure of the time passed and we ran out of time. So like, that's like a partial success. So yeah, Mm -hmm. the Lord believes us, but he's not going to remove the guard. Like we said, because it'll be a black eye on the Lord. So now the PCs have Mm -hmm. to go figure out a way to deal with that situation uh, without, I mean, the Lord isn't going to get in their way so much, but their Lord Mm -hmm. isn't going to help them either. Right. Or, Behind the scenes, the Lord sends his chamberlain who tells the PCs, well, you know, if you brought us this sort of evidence, then maybe Lord Poofy Pants could, in fact, get rid of the captain of the guard and would like to. But he needs just more evidence than you were you were providing. And not only more evident, not, not only does he give them that information, like to say, like, we need more evidence. He can also point them at where they can possibly find it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because that keeps the story moving forward without the PCs having to go doing more legwork. Right. 
Um, and I, I, I'm envisioning a skill challenge here where there is a scale of zero to four. Um, if you know four being the PCs get everything they want, zero meaning they get nothing, and the inverse number of that is how bad things go for the PCs. So if the PCs are able to get up to three out of four, you know they're able to do what we just said. They they convince the Lord he's uh, the the guard is corrupt, but he can't do anything about it. So the one the one that's left is how bad things get for the PCs after that. Whereas if they reach zero successes, then four is the number of bad things or the scale on one to four. Four is how bad the captain of the guard is now going to make their lives. Yeah, right? There you go. That's that's a really cool setting of stakes too. Like, right? Like I mean that that is a mechanic that lines up right with the idea of the stakes that we said earlier, right? So that's sure. perfect. Yep. Um Another thing to think about in this is other multiple points of negotiation. Like, yes, like, well, the guard's corrupt. He's done a bunch of bad stuff, and he's actually making you kind of look bad, Lord, right? That That's a point of negotiation. The Lord's like, oh, I hired him, though, and it'll make me look bad if it comes out that he's corrupt. Lately, we've been able to keep some of that stuff tamped down because of this as we're trying to find the solution, but we need a solution. So, like, there's that, too. Then there's also, like, the, like, you could, the player characters could come up with some crazy ideas, like, well, we could frame him for something, or we could, mm-hmm. you know... Bump. Go to the head of the Merchants Guild, who is being shaken down by the corrupt guard. That guy or gal might be able to bring you some more leverage than you already oh, have. Oh, yeah. If somebody else important decides to take a stand against the, the guard, but they are afraid to because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have enough personal power to assure their 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 uh, continued existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great thing, right? Like, that's cool. Like, those are those are neat things. And if they did that beforehand, like if this stuff came out beforehand and they bring this guy, that is a point of negotiation and leverage. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to think about with these skill challenges. They don't always have to happen all at once, right? Like this could mm-hmm. be an ongoing thing dealing with the lo- local lord. Like, oh, look, it, like sort of like a meta a structure for your adventure. Like, well, mm-hmm. we need so- X amount of points of evidence against this guy to get him removed. So right. go get and, it. And yeah, and from this comes a bunch of side potential side quests. Uh maybe the captain of the guard has a spy within the king's guard who's in the courtroom when all this is being talked about. So when the players leave after a partial success, somehow the guard that they're trying to get removed is finding out about this. So then they have an avenue to say, Okay, who's spying for this guard? in the king's court and if we can shut that down then that gives us more even more leverage when we do come to the lord or to the king yeah and if somebody rolls of exceptional success while negotiating with the local lord maybe they notice mm-hmm. that one guard who is like taking special attention uh is is paying is you know is, is they're out of place right they're they're doing mm-hmm. something suspicious they are paying too much attention whatever it is and that gives you a clue towards like huh What's going on with that person? So then you can, right. then that gives you another avenue for action. Yep. yep. You notice the court jester who just snuck out of the uh, great, great hall just as you were bringing these charges forth. Mm-hmm. Yep. After raising his eyebrows suspiciously at one of the comments. Yep. I like, oh, he was really shocked that you all said that. And then he disappeared. Why? I wonder mm-hmm. why. Th- then you yep. can go run him down. 
and do what you will with that. Um, mm -hmm. But there you go. Like that is that is how you kind of build one of those things out. Now, uh, I'll be honest with you. That was kind of a complex one to to deal with because the the negotiating with the guard one the like the, the move, removing a corrupt official is always hard right like to me like because that is essentially what the captain of the guard is a corrupt official it's, right but it's also something that you don't want to resolve with just one check you just don't want to walk into the lord and say uh you know captain bob over here is uh is corrupt okay make a persuasion check you got a 15 okay good you passed boom he's gone um, because we just came up with a lot of adventure ideas just based on the one, you know, skill challenge that we've been brainstorming. Yeah, I actually wrote a fourth edition adventure um, for Living Forgotten Realms called the Dantalian Maneuver. That was essentially mm -hmm. an extended skill check to deal with an approaching army to slow down an approaching army. Like the stakes, mm -hmm. the stakes were like you're going to go through a bunch of scenes trying to slow this army down. There's no way that you can stop them. But if you slow them down enough, it gives the local forces a chance to fortify up so that when the actual fighting starts, they have more of a chance. Right. It gives you a bunch of boons. Like, that was a skill challenge, right? Like, um, social interaction-wise... Uh, social interaction-wise, it is harder. Like, making a bunch of people run away, that's what morale checks were for back in the day, right? Like, you don't just right. scare a bunch of people off right away unless you have some sort of leverage. So, like, if yep. you have a reputation that you can bring to bear and then actually prove it to the people and then you make that dice roll and roll high enough, then that might be enough to either scare them away or put them on edge. And maybe that's only right. a one die roll roll, right? Like, and that's okay. Yeah, well, it also, like we've been talking about, depends on the scale. If it's at the end of the combat and there's one goblin left, um, you can just do a one-roll intimidation check and you f succeed, the goblin surrenders. Heck, man, if there's one goblin, oh, yeah, it surrenders instead of runs away. Right, ex like, exactly, but you know, that's what I'm talking about. You don't need a whole skill challenge for that. If you're talking about a bandit army coming toward you, like you've been talking about, and you are trying to stop them via social means, then you definitely want it to involve be more complex, involve gathering information and thinking things through and coming up with a plan and then executing that plan step by step. Yeah. And and check it out. Like, here's another thing that you can do. Like, if there's a large force coming against you and you, it's just you and your companions, like, what is your leverage? That is the question mm -hmm. to ask. Like, yeah, you're a bunch of powerful adventurers, but they don't know that. Like, mm -hmm. you throw that first fireball and be like, well, there's plenty more where that came from. That might give them pause. Right. Especially if it takes out, you know, a third of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Then again, if you throw that first fireball and somebody in their group counterspells it, they're not going to yeah, be all that, that impressed. No, that would be a, a a notch on the other side. Yeah. Then they might be like, maybe you should move out of the way. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's to me that's skill challenges and social interactions. Um. Social interactions are a lot about leverage. What is your what is your what is your social leverage in a situation? Does it give you um, does it give you fictional positioning, for lack of a, a better way to say it? I don't usually use the term fictional positioning over on Down with D and D. It's much more what I use <laughs> over on Misdirected Mark. Um, but fictional positioning is basically leverage. Like, what is the what is the fictional positioning that you have to get the thing that you want, or to right. to give and, you justification and, to make the die roll? Right, and we can even expand on more. You know, what's what's everyone's story? Yeah, you can. Yeah, what does everyone want? What what's their weakness? What's their strength? From what position are they bargaining? You know, all of those things, and you can just use a skill challenge format 
to to structure that out. Mm-hmm. And if you're just looking for a, an interesting social interaction, it really is like, what does that person that you're interacting with actually want? And what are they mm-hmm. willing to do to get it? If you can answer yep. those two questions, you can have a very compelling and interesting interaction. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, I guess it's our show, right? I think that's a complete show, Chris. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Let's do some Patreon shout-outs. J.J. Uh, Lanza, Brandon Barnes, Blake Ryan Batman, Zach Goins, Troy Sandlin, Corey Johnston, Will Doyle, the Mad Wizard himself who patrons us, so I think it's hilarious, uh, Cindy mm-hmm. Moore, who was on the show last week, and Effie Madsen, the Suicide Pixie. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Download D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for a paltry $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get our pre-production show notes. And you get a invite to our Slack Room for Life, where you can actually just talk to us whenever you feel like it. That's right. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, which would make us more visible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sean, buddy old pal, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down With D&D G Plus community where we pulled a question today to talk about for the whole show. So thank you, Alex, for bringing that up. And thank you, everyone in that community for the great discussions that we have there. Yes, thank you very much. It was a really good topic. Um, Maybe really get into thinking about it because uh, it's, a, it's a topic that I've had a lot of thoughts and feels about for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, you can hit up at Misdirected Mark. That is the network Twitter. You can also just go to the website and leave a comment there where you can catch other great shows such as this one. Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films, and that's wuxia, then discuss how to apply their observations to game design because they're designing a wuxia game. Cool. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded design. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some corrupt guards. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Do 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 do